Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome back to season 12. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Dynan. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to skip back as he has a fascinating story on how he got started in marketing. Speaking of fascinating stories of how people found marketing, Alyssa Maker also has an interesting story of having started off in PR and is now a demand gen marketer. It really goes to show that you just never know where the marketing career will take you. Alyssa shares her story, then we discuss what demand gen marketing means and how she approaches it as the glue that holds all their marketing efforts together. Alyssa is the director of marketing at Sana Commerce. As a director of marketing, she manages a marketing team focused on accelerating growth through multiple channels, including digital demand gen events and partners. She loves marketing because it allows her to find sophisticated solutions to everyday challenges. She is passionate about growth and committed to developing new skills. Here is my conversation with Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation. But before we get there, why don't you tell our listeners, Alyssa, what do you do and how did you get there? Yeah, so I am in marketing and I started in demand gen. Um, I work for a company now called Sana Commerce, um, which is a B2B e-commerce company. And I'm the director of marketing for the Americas. So both North America and uh, South America. Um, But I didn't start there. Um, I started way back when I was in college. I was um, in PR and that was what I wanted to do. That was what I, my career was going to be. And that was what I got my degree in. And I did a lot of internships in there. And I did get the opportunity to do some marketing internships that got me a little bit excited. But when I graduated, I still was like, nope, I'm going to do PR. Um, got my first job right out of college at an agency and I was supposed to be a PR intern. Um, but when I interviewed, they had asked me if I wanted a full-time job because I knew HubSpot. Um, and so, and I was certified with HubSpot. So I was like, okay, you know, why not? Let's try it. So I interviewed for the marketing side, the content marketing side, and it was really about like, managing different clients and their HubSpot and helping with their marketing strategy and their content strategy. Um, So I kind of got into that and I really started loving marketing automation and email. And I was like, you know what, I, I think I want to do this, but I think I want to do it for a um, like one company. I don't want to work for an agency. So I moved companies and I got into digital um, because I thought at the time that digital and email, that was what it was. Um, so, but when I got into digital, it was very much more like ads, Google ads, paid search, paid search, all of that. Um, plus like content syndication. And there was some overlap between digital and demand gen, but I didn't find myself a lot in like the marketing automation platforms. It really was a lot with like WordPress and all of our paid search and paid social channels. Um, which I loved and I loved doing it, but it wasn't where my passion was. Um, and so the company I was at, the demand gen 
um, manager actually got promoted to the director of marketing role. And so there was an open slot and I was like, well, you know what, like I can do this. Let me try. Um, cause I knew that I would love it. And so I got into it. And that's exactly what happened. I fell in love with Dimension. I was like, this is where I want to go in marketing. This is what I'm good at. This is what I love to do. Um, I really like the strategy behind things. And I really like having, um, like building a strategy with all these different channels and all these different elements of a marketing team. And I felt like that's what Dimension did. Um, and then I'm also from a technical side, like in the marketing automation system, that's just my, um, I just love it. It just came easy to me. Um, so if for me, it was like, great, this is, this is awesome. Um, and then ever since then, I continued my career in demand gen. I became a demand gen manager. I switched companies and was the senior manager. Um, and then I was brought on to Sana as a senior manager for demand gen and then got promoted to the director of marketing. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's a ride. That's awesome. Um, I have so many questions, but it's going to lend nicely into our conversation. So before I start firing away, um, one more question for you before we get into our the core of our topic uh, is what's one challenge you're currently facing right now? Um, I would say it's the, so because of COVID, a lot of the channels, I would say that we were really like doing like ABM and events and direct mail and all these things that we were trying and in intent data, we it kind of got, it, or at least to me and when my career, what I saw, it kind of came to a point where it was like, wait a minute, COVID just happened. Events are no longer a thing. You now have to go virtual. Um, people aren't in the office, so direct mail isn't as easy. Um, and so it was a lot of change and a lot of going back to the, what I call the basics of marketing. And so now that we're kind of, we're still in the pandemic, but we're kind of starting to see things get back a little bit to normal. It's the challenge for me is what channels are actually performing well now and trying to figure it out because events, for example, is still up in the air. There's some events that people are going to and we're having great success. And there's some events that are getting canceled, you know, weeks before the event happens because of COVID or they're not getting the turnout. Um, we're seeing webinar fatigue. So, you know, webinars aren't working as much anymore. I see podcasts starting to become a bigger thing now. So it's like, how do you incorporate that into your channel? So for me, it's, I would say the hardest, the challenge that I'm having right now is find, figuring out what channels actually work right now and what channels are going to bring the most success and what new channels do we need to bring in? Because um, I do not think it's the same as it was two years ago. Yeah, and I'm sure it's going to shift again because as we come out of the pandemic it and things open up, um, you know, what felt really comfortable during the pandemic is probably going to change again. So yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a ride for sure. Um, exactly. You are not alone. The struggle is real. <laughs> um, but I like yes. how you're approaching it and looking at like what's actually happening in the market and not just taking things at face value. Like soon fatigue is real. So you can keep trying to push yep. webinars, but chances are... Yep, exactly. And sometimes it's even too trying to figure out like, okay, maybe, maybe a webinar is what we need to do, especially if it's with a partner or something, but how can we make this webinar something that is engaging, something that people are going to love? Can we turn it into a lunch and learn? Can we turn it into, you know, an event or virtual event? And it's, it's really thinking outside of the box to figure out how these channels can still work. Um, 
and also on the budget that you have. And because I've worked with many different budgets from like literally having no money to having a bunch of money and it's events are expensive. They can, some of these direct mails expensive, especially when you don't know if people are at home or back in the office. So it gets difficult. It does. It does. I, I'm, I'm going to keep in touch there, Alyssa. I want to see what channel will start working out for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> clearly I believe in podcasts, so I can, I can vouch yes. for that. <laughs> Um, let's start, th- let's start here though. I feel like demand gen is sort of new, not new. Like it's, you've clearly been doing it for a while. And I think you're a bit on the cutting edge of that because it mm-hmm. feels like it's starting to get some groundswell now, but what does it mean to you? Like, what is, what does demand gen mean to you? So if you asked me four years ago or five years ago, I always thought demand gen was the roles that you had back then, an email marketing specialist or a um, marketing automation specialist. And digital was really the one that kind of led the strategy to things. Um, But I also think as years went by, digital started to become its own thing. And it started to become a very successful thing because social media wasn't big you know, back in the, I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I don't, it was so big when I was young, but maybe two thousands. Um, but it wasn't always a thing. And so of course, email was always, you know, something that marketers used and all the basics of marketing with events and, and direct mail and print and that kind of stuff. So when digital started to become its own channel, you know, you can no longer do demand gen and digital in one role. Um, and I know that when I was looking for jobs, for a long time, that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody that could do both. And I was like, and I would, you know, I'd go and I was in a role where, um, when I went to my third job where I had to do both. And I was like, this isn't possible. Like nobody, like, this is not, there's just not enough, um, time in the day for somebody to do both and, and really, you know, get the strategy. Right. So for me, I was learning that demand gen was actually something that, it was, it was about strategy. And I think that's where it really differentiated the role for me. You can have a digital strategy and every role has their own strategy, but demand gen is about taking all those different channels and building one big strategy. So, and I've always said a demand gen marketer cannot do their job without a digital marketer, a content marketer, an event marketer, and all that. And those roles can't do their job without a demand gen marketer because then you're working in silos and that's not good either. So to me, a demand gen person is about bringing all of the different channels and all of the different roles together to build one overall marketing strategy that's going to take different channels and have them work together to basically bring in ROI. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, to br- I feel like there's also this shift too in the way that demand gen is being talked about. So I love your opinion on this in terms of, yes, it's overarching strategy, but it's also a different kind of strategy, right? In the sense that, especially yeah. in B2B and, and in the spaces we work in where the channels used to be really focused on leads and how many leads can we get and how can we get them right now? And so when you layer in demand gen on top of that, leads become a product of it but it's more holistic around how do you create that overarching systemic awareness of your brand and who you are 
it, it sort of brings brand back to the it, into the mix and the importance of like the overarchingness of it to create that full view of your brand and then the channels being activated to then drive through the funnel. Would you, is, is that encompassing of what you do as well? Or am I off base in terms of how you see it? What's sort of your... No, I a hundred percent agree with that. It's um, so when I, when every role has their own KPIs at the end of the day, like digital, their role, you know, their KPIs might be, you know, engagement, website conversions and, and how many can I get, you know, for that. But the thing with demand gen, it's like you said, it's not just about lead gen. You, yes, we need leads and yes, but those leads are going to run out and you have to build the top of the funnel. You have to keep them coming in. And it's how do you do that? And it's the journey. I mean, we, we go back to the customer journey, but it all starts with brand awareness. And it all starts with getting your name out there and the name recognition and making sure that people, when they're searching, your brand is coming up. Um, and then it's guiding them through that journey to then become a lead and then a customer. Um, but you can't do that if all you're focused on is the now. And I do think that's the where demand gen comes in is they are focused on the now, but they're also focused on the future and the future of the future. So it's very much, you know, like I'm still, if you ask me today, I'm planning for Q2, but I'm also planning for next year when I know my KPIs are going up and how am I going to meet that demand? Because it compounds, right? I mean, what can you do today that's going to affect down the road because it's it's staggered or there's like um there there's a, like a, a waiting period almost for the, all the activity you do today isn't going to actually come in it's not actually going to impact anything or or actually have anything happen until like a few months down the road like yeah there's a gap in terms of timing it's not now it's as much as you'd love for it to be and immediate yeah. results <laughs> as we all know our our, our bosses won yes. at the end of the day. Yes, a hundred percent. And I feel like some people, especially, and I, I won't say this is a bash on sales, not all sales people, but some are very much into short-term quick wins and even people that aren't in marketing because they just don't understand what goes into it. So for me, it's yes, I will give you a short-term strategy, but I'm also going to do a long-term strategy because the short-term is not going to last us. It might last us for this quarter, but then what happens? Um, and I think sometimes that, you know, we forget that and, and us as marketers have to fight for that and say, um, especially with brand awareness, because there's no, um, there's not really a great way to measure it. There's no ROI. You don't see the ROI success in it immediately. And what ends up happening is that they think, why are we putting all this money into brand awareness when we're not getting anything out of it? And it's like, but wait a minute. We are because those leads eventually interact and engage with other elements and other channels that eventually get them down the funnel. Without that, where, like, where do you start? Um, and I know when I came on to the job I'm at now, one of the first things I told them, I said, don't expect any results from me for the first three months, because that was all about it. It was kind of um it, I think because they were looking for this role for a long time, they kind of just said, okay, but I know they wanted something. They definitely wanted results. And when I told them, I said, the reason is, is because there's no consistency that was built before I came here, at least from my observation, there was no consistency that was built. 
it was just kind of like, we might do a, we did a campaign in Q1, maybe not nothing in Q2, and then we'll do something in Q3, but there was no email and marketing consistency built. And the other thing too, is that all the channels that we were using, we weren't using them together. We were using them in silos. So it was like, you know, on LinkedIn and digital, you might be putting out one message and then on email, you're doing a completely different campaign to the same audience. And when it doesn't match, it's not, you're, you're relying on one channel. And that to me is, is not the best way to market to people. Um, So I said, I was like, don't, you know, don't expect anything from me for three months. And that's exactly what happened. Like for three months, it was all about building that consistency, building that plan, getting us into a motion. And then by like mid Q3, beginning of Q4, our numbers jumped. So, And we started to see that. You said this word a lot and it is where we wanted to sit today. So let's sit there for a minute. Keep saying the word consistency. What does that mean? So it kind of goes with um, brand, like they all play a role in this brand awareness, digital, all of that, but it's making sure that you stay in front of your buyer and that when it comes time for them to buy, they know your name and they're going to remember your name because you kept providing value to them. If, if I emailed somebody or if somebody emailed me in Q1 with this report and I download this report, but then I never hear from your company again until Q3. When I go to look for that, I'm not going to remember that I downloaded that report in Q1 or who your company is. So it goes back to nurturing, but it's even more than just nurturing. It's making sure that when you when you provide um, valuable or you create valuable content that you think these people would enjoy, these prospects would enjoy, you got to get that in front of them. But you also have to make sure you stay in front of them via digital because obviously People don't always read emails, but they are on LinkedIn. They are on Google. We need to retarget them. So it's making sure that one, we're saying a consistent message across the board. So that's the first one I say, when I think consistency, it's about a consistent message, but it's also consistency in making sure that we're staying in front of them consistently. All right, let's break that down in terms of consistent message. Is that, is that brand? Is that the things you, is that the value that you're giving? What's, what do you mean by consistent message? So I think it's all, it's brand, it's message, it's pain points that you're marketing on. Um, And the reason being, because when I market to somebody, for example, and I'm telling them, this is what we do, this is what we can help you with. That's what's getting them engaged. If they, if they act, if they go to our website, that's getting, that's what's getting them engaged. But then they go to the BDRs and they're, they're saying a completely different thing. And then they're like, well, wait a minute. And then they go to the sales funnel and it's in their demo request, for example, is completely different than the pain points that I was telling them about. And so then there's no consistent, there's no consistent flow. And we should all be saying the same thing. Like if we all agree, like for a marketing persona that X, Y, and Z, these are the pain points that they care about, then that's what we should be talking about at every step of the funnel and not even, um, stopping at sales, but also I call it closing the loop, but even going into CSMs, like making sure that what the CSMs are saying are the exact same thing that we're saying. So if these are their pain points, when they get to that CSM and they're doing trainings and things like that, making sure that we're showing them in our product, how we can, how they can do that, how they can fix those pain points. Um, and I think that just builds a better, a better flow for, and a better, um, 
what's the word, a better, a better journey for the prospect. Is that a brand? Is that essentially a brand strategy? Yeah. I, I mean, cause it starts at the brand. Yeah. So it's like your mission, your values, your, your, the, the, what you solve, the problems you solve and how you do yep. that. Is that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Yep. It starts at the brand, but then you start to kind of dig into each, um, each stage of the funnel a little bit more. I mean, you have those messages for each stage of the funnel that to making sure that like what I'm saying there, the BDRs are saying sales is saying, cause you never want to get to, and I've had it in my career where marketing said one thing, the BDR said another thing. And by the time they got to the demo, they literally said, this is not what I thought I was getting. I love what you're saying though, because I think that when there isn't consistency across the different channels, then you're right. Then it's this disjointed, like user experience of mm-hmm. who said what and why and, and who's right. Yep. We're talking about building trust. Exactly. exactly. And then you're just competing. It kind of goes back to, to me with, um, when I talk about like consistency and marketing and the fact that if you're running in silos, for example, and then you're, you're messaging, you're competing with, with yourself. So if I'm running one message on LinkedIn and my email campaign, that's going to the same audience, isn't saying the same thing you're competing with yourself. And for what? Yeah. Oh, so such a good point. When you start spending money against it, oh my goodness. Yeah. You could really blow money pretty quickly and easily if you're not being very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish for who and yes to that. Um, in terms of who owns that, is that demand, is that your job as demand gen to create that consistency in messaging? Do you have a, do you, do you have a, is that the product teams? Like whose responsibility is it to get to that consistent message? So I would say it's, there's multiple departments that I think play a role in coming up with what that consistent message is going to be in terms of owning the project. I do believe it does um, lie with demand gen um, because again, demand gen is what I consider that middle piece or that glue that holds everything together um, because they're the ones that are going to basically take this and or build out like, okay, here's that consistent strategy but now I need content to help me come up with what is that message supposed to be? I need digital to help me make sure that that message is getting out on our digital channels. I need sales to make sure that we're saying the right thing and that the pain points are right, whether it's BDRs or AEs, but I also need product to make sure that, Hey, are like, how can we help? Um, how can our, how can our product help with fix these pain points so that we can make sure we talk about them? But then it's also making sure that the CSMs can tell me too from historical data based off of our customers, what are their pain points? What are some things that they're dealing with that you've heard? So to come up with that messaging, it is a, it's a collaboration effort between all departments, but I do believe that DemandGen is the role that, that will be like the project owner. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense in the way that you're describing the function of the demand gen versus the, the other um, components of an organization. Okay, so consistent messaging and then consistent, I forget what word you used, but it was essentially visibility. Like, yeah, so yeah, being uh, consistent in front of your um, buyers. Yeah, so that you're, like you said, you're not 
they're not downloading something in Q1, but then you're getting back to them in Q3. Like that's not really exactly, exactly. Do you worry um, about frequency, like, or is that going out the window? Because you know there was a, there was a time where like frequency caps were a thing and they were important because you didn't want to bombard your audience and be annoying. But it sounds like that's sort of gone out the window. So frequency is still a thing. And I definitely still take that into consideration when I'm building out campaigns. But when I, when I think consistency amongst channels, like I'm not saying go email your prospect every single week, like don't definitely don't do that. But what I do when I do my campaigns, it's a very targeted approach because also gone are the days of mass emails. Like, and I'm sure there are some people that'll tell me that I'm wrong, but I've done so many AB tests with emails and I always have better results when I do targeted messaging based off of industry or persona. Um, and so building that consistency is saying like, okay, if my plan in Q1 is to go after the manufacturing industry of auto parts, and I'm also going to go after, I don't know, um, retail s- stores and fashion we'll just say. And those are the two that I'm going to focus on. I'm going to build campaigns out to them, but that doesn't mean that I don't have digital campaigns going out to all my other, to the rest of my database. Um, Cause that could mean that I might have a full manufacturing um, campaign running on LinkedIn, or I may have an MEL or like middle of the funnel um, campaign that's running to people that have engaged with my content. And it's more of like kind of getting them to move down the funnel. So while channels need to work together, you will still have some that are doing other things, but they hope this makes sense. They still, at the end of the day, are geared towards one, one strategy. And I mean, obviously the end of the goal, the end goal is to continue to create demand. Um, And so, but we can't, you can't do that with one channel and I can't use email only. Um, so for me, it's making sure that if you're not hitting them on one channel, you're at least hitting them on another channel, you're at least retargeting them. And then maybe next month I might see from my digital channel, like, Hey, this industry is doing well. It's a hot industry right now. Let's do a campaign to them. Um, yeah. Yeah, So it's not frequency in the sense of overloading one channel. It's, it's consistency in terms of showing up across all channels almost like an always on sort of scenario and hundred percent. You said it right. Always on campaigns that are always running. Um, and it could be something as simple as a brand awareness campaign, but at least your name is still in front of them. Um, because when you do your strategies, when I do my year strategies, there's no way we target many industries. There's no way I'm going to hit every single industry this year. I just won't not with my, um, like, a um, integrated campaigns. So you do still have to use siloed campaigns, but those siloed campaigns are always on campaigns. They're not one-off campaigns that you're just running. Um, and so for me, it's here's the four or five industries that I'm going to focus on for the first half of the year. And that's what I do emails for. And then the second half of the year might be different. So what is the delay on it? So you, you told your team, expect this to actually start taking shape in three months. Was that like... 
did it take you three months to get anything off the ground? Did it take you three months to get to results? What, what is that? What does that time frame mean for anybody who's thinking like, all right, I'm going to start this consistency demand gen approach, but like, what are we talking about in terms of timing of actually seeing ROI? Yep. So it's three months to see results. So I always try to, I usually can get like, when I start, I try to get my, my first campaign out in the first month that I'm there. Um, I would that first campaign, but it might be something that was done two quarters ago or the year before. And now I'm just repurposing it um, while I'm also building a brand new campaign uh, with talking to the team and saying, OK, what is something that we should be talking about that makes sense? And we build this this campaign around it. But for the three months, it was also it wasn't just about building email campaigns. It was also making sure that our LinkedIn campaigns, we were also pushing out messaging that matched that. We were also pushing out on Google if we needed to something that matched that. Um, And it was also making like changing the email approach. So when I do email campaigns, I tend to, um, I wanna speak to both audiences of those that, yep, they're gonna download, they're interested. And also the audience is that maybe I'm not ready to download something and I don't wanna give you my information. So let me make sure that I'm giving you ungated content as well um, so that you can go and explore. And then from there, there's a CTA for you to download the report. I always push things out. There's always a next step in everything I push out. That's the other thing. Like I will not, um, I don't believe you should ever leave a prospect hanging or thinking what they should do next. You should always have that next step for them ready to go. Um, So for me, it was making sure that all the channels were working together in those three months, making sure that we were getting campaigns out each month, because that was also something that they weren't used to and that some companies aren't used to. Um, and then from there, it's, okay, now that we've we've emailed these people and these prospects for three months, now we're going to continue our always on campaigns, making sure they're in those. And now I'm going to do another campaign to the campaign, to the group that I did in the beginning of Q3. Now I'm going to do a campaign to them in mid Q4. So it, they still have a three-month gap, but they're not going three or four months, six months without hearing from us and like seeing our name and, and that kind of thing. So it was just a matter to me, it's the, if, if your team's not used to that approach and that integrated marketing approach, it takes three months to build that approach and get, get the, um, I would say ball in motion. And that's why I always say like, it, give me three months, we'll start it. And then it'll run and it'll go smoothly and you'll start to see the results. That's pretty amazing though, that you will start to see results in three months. Um, there's, okay, two things you said, and I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about value and giving value, what does that mean? Is it always a download? It like, it, I mean, does it, I'm sure it depends on where you are on the funnel, but like you've said this word a lot. So I'm assuming we can't just show up with a big, flashy, beautiful banner ad and say, look at us. We're giving yeah, them something. No. <laughs> what are you giving? So to, for me, it's valuable content, but it's also, I know the term goes around marketing fluff and I, I am not a fan of marketing fluff. Um, I am very bit, when I write emails or when I edit emails, that first sentence, what I always find is people read the first sentence, the last sentence, and if they really are interested, they'll read the rest of your email. But that first sentence, sometimes we like to 
some people will say things or content writers will write things or marketers will want to start their email out with the phrase that I always say, duh, they already know this. <laughs> so like, for example, if I start out an email that says things have drastically changed since COVID really, wow, didn't know that. So for me, it's like, you've already don't start with that. Give them some, start with a question, start with a stat, start with something that's going to literally draw them in and have them say, huh, let me keep reading. I'm interested. Um, but, and it's also like, who are you, who are you emailing? Who are, what message are you giving? So if I'm, if I'm putting a, like a stat in there about the automotive industry, well, obviously that stat you know, the fashion industry is not going to care about that. They want to know about their industry. So it's also making sure that your whatever you're putting out is also targeted. And that pain point is targeted to who you're messaging or who you're emailing. But um, so it's the valuable, the value piece is providing something to them that they didn't already know before they open this email. And that is through your copy. And that's through the piece that you're offering them, whether it's a case study, whether it's a white paper, whether it's an infographic, but it's giving them something and value that is going to help them be successful in their job. Um, and so that's what I, cause, and I always think about myself as a marketer and I feel like we all should, cause we're, if you're a marketer, when you email somebody, would you read it? Would you download it? And if you say no, why would you send that? I love that something they didn't already know. I mean, it feels no duh, but like also to be reminded of how we need to like, you got to catch their, you got to hook them immediately and you got to yep. give them something they already know. You got to get to spark their, their brains to start thinking and like want to be a part of what it is you're saying. So uh, it's such a great reminder to that. Yep. Um, the other thing you said was gated content. <laughs> so sometimes you get content, sometimes you don't. I mean, I feel like we've moved into a world where we, and I had a, you know, I've talked to people like Latin continent who mm -hmm. would very, you know, who's very adamant about this, that you don't gate anything. Um, so I feel like there's definitely extremes where people are like, I'm, I'm gating everything. Cause that's, that's just what I know. And that's what I know works. And like, I'm not leaving yeah. that realm. And then there's other people who are like, I'm gate the world. Where do you fit in that? So I'm in the middle and it's dependent upon a lot of things. There are regions out there and like LATAM is one of them that gated content works. It just does. And there are other regions in Europe where gated content works um, and they have success with it. But then specifically the US, I have a very hard time with gated content. Um, and my thought is, is that I don't need seven fields on a form for somebody to want a white paper. Like that's crazy. I wouldn't even want to give seven pieces of information. So if we're going to gate content, make it three, first name, last name, email done. There's so much technology out there today and, and tools that you can find the rest of that information. LinkedIn, you can find it. You don't need to ask them for it. First name, last name, email. And from there, it's, you know, that I don't feel like that's a lot that people feel like, oh my God, I'm giving my life away for this. However, I also stand on the side of ungated content if we already have their information in the system. 
I don't believe in gating content for people that have already filled out a form because you already have their information. So give them ungated content, unless it's a requested demo, because I know that if they're requesting a demo, usually the ones that fill out that form are probably more serious. Um, they might but to ask- too, right? Like you exactly, like phone number, number at that point. exactly, exactly. But to ask somebody to fill out a form and gate every single thing, every single time, yeah. you're never gonna get anybody. Yeah. Um, so I, I stay in the middle because I do believe in gating content for people that are new to your system. Um, but it's also what is, what, what value are you giving to them? And in terms of the, what they're downloading, how long does your form actually need to be? Um, cause we try to just get as much information as we can in one form. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. So. I'm curious too, though. I find that interesting because it sounds like if they're new, you said it, if they're new to your system, you gate the content. So you don't leave any content open for even brand new people who are just trying to get to know you. I do. Um, so blogs and case studies, I'm big on obviously not gating those and infographics. I always say anything that is like a white paper that took, um, I would say that would be of great value, a report stats, that kind of stuff, gate those. Blogs, always ungated. Case studies, I know that's also a topic in the marketing community. Some people gate them, some people don't. By the time somebody gets to a case study, they are doing their research on whether or not they want to buy your product or not. Why would you make it harder for them? Don't do that. So I'm big on ungating case studies. Um, and anything like infographics or short fact sheets, ungate those. Those should be teasers into bigger reports. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, it's interesting because I feel like white papers are kind of a catch-22. Like they are giving more information about your company, but they did take a lot of work. So if I, you know, I really could swing either way on that. Um, but you, I definitely shouldn't be getting blogs. I mean, and yeah. I, I have this question a lot too. Like I, I sort of debate with people on this a little bit internally of like, well, what should be a blog and what should be a white paper? Like what, because it's, people can't search a white paper, right? When you're talking about SEO and search content, like people can't search a PDF. So are you missing out by A, putting that into something that's unsearchable and then putting it behind essentially a paywall? Like are you potentially losing audience in that? I mean, when does it make sense to make something a white paper versus making something accessible on the website? So it's interesting that you say that because I'm actually trying to figure that out right now too for my own um, in like marketing tactics and stuff because what I'm finding, at least in the US and what I found in other companies is that reports gate, gate all day long. If you pay for a report, if you do research, gate that because that's something that like yes something you can buy from another company that or if you like say you do an internal survey to all of your prospects and you get all this data and you create this report based off of let's say buying behavior or anything like that gate that because people love that they're always going to download that um that is where i've had my most um success with downloads is when it comes to reports White papers, I'm on the fence and I actually don't know 
because I, part of me agrees with that can be a blog and we're going to give valuable information. But the other part of me is saying, well, how do you, how do we get information then about new leads that are coming in? If, if nothing is gated, um, cause reports are also very expensive. Um, so I'm actually doing some testing right now of gating and ungating, and I'm, I'm doing it based off journey and I'm doing it based off, um, based off where they're at in the funnel and um, are they new to our system? Because the truth is, and I, I know that we, we as marketers say hush hush on where we get our data from, but like, it's out there. Let's be honest. Like we buy lists. We do. We buy lists. We buy data platforms. That's where we get our data. It's third-party data. So they're, they're all, we obviously already have their email right. because we're emailing them. So at that point, it's like, why gate? So I, I'm kind of on the fence with it because I'm like, we already have their information. So if, if it's just a matter of making sure that they're engaged, if that's really what we're trying to do, you can do that off of email clicks, page visits. You know, how many pages did they visit? How many pages did they visit in a session? Like there's so much behavior and intent data, which is a new big thing that I'm kind of leaning towards now too, that we can use that's better than a form fill. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing ABM too, where you have already, where you don't need to necessarily sift through a bunch of leads that aren't going to be a right fit, then gating doesn't really make sense because to your point, you just get the list against the accounts you really want to go after. And then you just make that your priority. So they're, you know, not exactly. into the whole world of ABM, which unfortunately we do not have time for, but, <laughs> it, but yes, I think it depends on what strategy you're going after. If you don't have a list and you don't know who your accounts are and you don't want to spend the time on create because that's a, a lot of work in, in that in that approach um then then yes there's a sense of gating yeah i mean it really depends on going back to your original point of as the demand gen person what is your strategy yep and it's also looking to and, and this is where like i think bdr the bdr role for example is a, a role that um so for the company I'm at now, I did do a business case when I did my, when we went through the interview process and, um, you know, it asked me the channels that I think are valuable. And I said BDRs and I named them as a channel because I'm sorry, I don't care. You need somebody to follow up on the, on your stuff because intent data is a big thing. And if you wait for people, that's the other thing. If you wait for people to fill out a form, you're going to lose out on so much business. And that to me is the other piece. It's like, what is your overall strategy and what is your goal? Because if gating stuff is to get information, you already have their information. So that can't be your goal. So if it's, oh, I want engaged people, intent data is somebody that fills out a form versus somebody that is visiting multiple pages on your website, reading your blogs, researching about e-commerce, doing X, Y, and Z is a more valuable prospect than that person that downloaded one white paper. So true. Yes to that. This was awesome, Alyssa. Thank you so much <laughs> for bringing your perspective of how you approach demand gen. I think it's so clear. I think it's so helpful as people start to figure this out for themselves and to really think about this role as the person who's, who's bringing it all together and being that glue. I think that's just incredibly powerful to now stop thinking about these siloed channels, but actually figuring out how they can all work together and have that commonality and the consistency that a user of that journey deserves. 
Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Before we close out, I do have my three people first questions. You are more than a marketer. And uh, just pull back a curtain, let people get to know you a bit more. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, first question for you. Have you picked up any new hobbies in the last two years? Oh, um, yes. So I, uh, well, one, I'm a shopper, love shopping. And one thing I did pick up in, I would say the last two years is I was right before COVID. So maybe a little bit more than the last years, but uh, was couponing. <laughs> I love a good deal. And I found like when you watch those coupon, um, the like the shows about coupon couponers and stuff, and you're like, oh my God, they got all that stuff and they paid nothing. They actually got paid. And I used to think like, that's not real. Oh, it's real. It's definitely real. It's a lot of work, but it, it's definitely real. So I used to, um, during the pandemic, I was, I had toilet paper before the whole everything, everybody had to go buy out and buy toilet paper. I didn't, I didn't need any. I had like over 30 or 40 packs of toilet paper, so much shampoo, so much soap, like things that you need in a household that I'm like, I will never have to buy this for like three, four years. Um, and that was something for me. Exactly. So I didn't never did it with food because I was like, food goes bad, but like household items. I'm like this stuff, you need it. It's a necessity. So, uh, couponing was definitely something I got into as well as, um, I have my dog. And so like, I've been trying to like go to dog parks and take her walking and and be more like outdoorsy. So what kind of dog? (laughs) She's a dachshund Westie Jack Russell mix. So she's long body, low rider, um, and she's literally my world. <laughs> so cute. We had a cat uh, that we that we got during the pandemic, and I love that little guy. Unfortunately, um, we moved houses, and then he got hit by a car. But before that, I was you know I was oh, never no. really a pet person. But then when we got when we got our cat, I was like, oh, it's the best. So animals are the best. They are. They are. I totally get it. All right. Second question for you. I know you're traveling to New York once a month, which is awesome. So when you do that and when you're with your team, maybe you do this already. Maybe you're going to start doing it. We'll see. What song do you want playing when you're with them though? What, how do you want to set the vibe with a song? What song would you play? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Oh, that's a hard question though. So, okay. So if it was Friday, it was Friday that song that's like, it's Friday, Saturday, everybody sings that song in the office. That's like the jam. That is a song that plays. If you go out on a Friday, that is a song that plays. Um, but if it was during the week, um, mm, that's a hard question. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, I don't have a, the song, but I would, I'm going to describe a song. Um, just because I can't think of the names of the songs, my mind's going blank. Um, but it would be like a, a party song, something that's like about the life of the, like, you know, living and having fun. And um, I would say, because that's really what I would say my team and like my coworkers are like, we are very much a work hard, play hard team. Um, and so that would be to me, this, like a, the type of song that we'd be playing. Okay, well, I'll go find that Friday song and add it to the playlist. But if you think of another song that's around this, what you're describing, you let me know and I'll add it to our Spotify. I will. So yeah, I will. Don't worry, <laughs> that's awesome. 
All right, last question for you. If you could travel to anywhere in the world without any red tape or any vaccination cards or testing, where would you go and why? Japan. Um, I'm very fascinated with the culture over there. Um, I think it is a beautiful culture and cherry blossoms are my favorite flower, favorite tree, everything. Um, and that is one place that I said, like when I, when I see the pictures and I talk to people that live there and have been there and it's just something that it's, the culture is so immersive to me that I want to just go jump in it. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa. It was so good to have you. Thank you. This was, uh, I really enjoyed this. That was my conversation with Alyssa Maker. As we all shift towards a more demand gen approach, I hope you feel inspired by Alyssa and how she's building her team. In my final episode of season 12, Tom Wedding brings the season home with teaching us how to build communities online. Stay on and autoplay will take you there. Thank you for tuning into this episode of season 12. It was brought to you by MKG Marketing, our digital marketing agency that helps cybersecurity and data companies get found via transparent, measurable digital marketing. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG. Music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellison. If you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply.